Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to another edition of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, join my co-host, colleague, and good friend, Jake Rosen. Jake, how are you doing today, bud? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back. I feel like it's been a minute. Uh, maybe because, yeah. uh, I don't know, we're off our like typical recording schedule, but uh, I'm very excited to be back. And this is kind of the year, uh, this is the time of the semester where uh, school starts to really interfere with basketball stuff and I'm upset because of it, but I'm glad we were able to carve out the time before finals. Super pickup for me. And we have another mailbag. We had, I think we had a sick time with the first mailbag. So I'm, I'm really excited to be back and especially answer some, especially to answer some questions from uh, the listeners. Yeah. Uh, school and travel really have, uh, have, yeah. have driven us apart as much as they can <laughs> yeah. over the last month or two, but uh, I'm, I'm psyched to be back in. I know you wanted to start off before we even get into the mailbag, which I'm excited about because we've got some great questions, talking about most improved player for a second. John Morant, one most improved player, while also being an all-star and a borderline MVP candidate, depending on how you look at it. Um, there was a lot of discourse over it. And while this doesn't necessarily tap in with the draft, I do think it's an interesting thing to look at from a player development perspective. Um, so I know you wanted to cook on this. Where do you want to start here? I think the best place to start is how many top two picks haven't rapidly ascended to perennial all-star clear-cut first team whatever you want to call it and flirted with the mvp candidacy in their third year that's like i i think yes there were would it have made quote-unquote more sense in the context of most improved like if we're looking at this from a graph standpoint of like production from one year production to the other, there were other players that made a bit like a more drastic leap than John Morant in terms of volume and just efficiency usage guys like Jordan Poole, Tyrese Maxey, all that stuff. But I, I do think, and this was kind of the tweet I sent out this, this growth curve and development curve of jaw isn't necessarily normal. Um, and, I, and I think a lot of people were caught off guard that, the formal number number two overall pick. I think there was a stat he was the first player to win rookie of the year and most improved in the same career. People are like, oh, that shouldn't be a thing. But he's really just ascended to the top rapid, really rapidly and probably ahead of schedule. And I think 
he deserves some credit for that. And if the credit he deserves is the most improved player, then I'm totally cool with that. Like, I actually don't really have an issue with him winning. And I think it goes to something we're going to especially talk about, which is like adding some nuance to the leaps that you make in the NBA and just the, the leap that Ja made from like super fun, really good young player to, oh, this is like the catalyst of one of the best teams in the league. And I know they were really good when he was hurt, yada, yada, yada. But like, it's very clear he's the driver of their offense, especially. Um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to talk about this. I know you did as well, just to kind of add some nuance to what this award means and how we can evaluate it going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think it just speaks to a larger thing of, we just need to actually have criteria for awards so that we don't do this over and over again. But again, I I guess part of the point of having it is that it feeds conversations like this. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, you get what you give, but I agree. Like, I I think you can definitely have made a case for Desmond Bain or Miles Bridges or or, or whoever, like, those guys made real strides, but I do think, like like you're mentioning, it has been undersold almost to a degree by obviously not like the main discourse, but like what Ja did from from last year to this year in terms of just not just efficiency, but you know the craft and his scoring, um, his ability to get his shot off. Even though like yes, it has waned a little bit in the playoffs, but the strides he's made as a jump shooter from where he was at is his rookie year to now is immense. Um, just his control of the game overall. Like, I mean, there has been real and not just like this guy should be improving improvement. Like just that, it's like outlier stuff going from where he went his rookie year. So um, I'm fine with it. I'm happy about it as long, you know, there there's, I think the best way to look at it, there's never really a right answer um, most of the time. Um, so like you said, just adding some nuance to it, but psyched for Ja. Really interested to see what the hell happens with this next year too. Yeah. And I just, I really wanted to emphasize the fact that what he did and what he's been doing and you're like, this isn't expected. And, and if you, if you can say, if you're saying this is, was expected, you're like, you're insane. Um, just as someone who has a huge passion for player development and tracking guys from high school to college to their early years in the NBA to eventually the prime um, when the guys have kind of been lucky enough to watch get there. And obviously job was a little bit different. He wasn't a five-star recruit. What didn't play at a high major school, but just from a, sheer player development standpoint and rapid ascension in the league this is not something we should be taking for granted and you can disagree that the way he should be rewarded with that is with an all nba team or something of that nature or being on the mvp ballot and not with the most improved player there and that's your you're entitled to your opinion i just wanted to like super emphasize and shut down the discourse that we should be expecting this of of number two overall picks because that's just really unfair to everyone else not named John Morant and sets a pretty dangerous precedent for everything moving forward yeah I I think the best way to put it never forget Tyreek Evans and I don't mean that as slander but like people thought Tyreek Evans had next did not happen that way uh but yeah rookie of the year rookie of the year Michael Carter Williams (laughs) that's that's an entirely other can (laughs) unpack (laughs) let's dive into this uh first question I'm so i Full full disclosure, we're going to try and get to every question. We will probably not, but I'm going to bounce around and try and at least hit all the subjects that you brought up. First question is from uh, from Nick Speed, my guy Alex over at No Ceilings. Um, where is the highest you take Malachi Brand, not specific the teams, um, and why? And I, I want to ask you that first because I actually kind of changed this up for myself um over the weekend uh when i i actually need to release it on my patreon but i i retoyed where i'm at with uh with 2022 and started some 2023 stuff but yeah where would you uh where would you be at here i'm gonna pin this 
pinball this back to you real quick. <laughs> Malachi Branham or Ty Ty Washington? Malachi Branham. Okay. So for me, I think I slide with Ty Ty. Mm-hmm. And that is where, so I have, right now I have Malachi in a group, which is right outside the lottery. And the group is Casey, Malachi, Blake Wesley, Mark Williams, and Ochai. Uh, I'm still kind of weeding out the order and one of them could easily crack into the lottery as I start to dive back into the 2022 class or draft class, I should say. Um, But I think the latest I would take him is back end lottery or right outside of it. And I'm just looking at guys that I would have ahead. And the easiest way for me to do this is comparing. I'm not necessarily, I I don't really like the archetype thing, but it's like, if you're looking for an off guard, who's going to win as a pull-up shooter, are you going to take Ty Ty? And that was quite kind of why I asked it to, to you is like, I kind of think you're taking them for sort of similar reasons, which is an off guard who can handle the ball. Maybe Ty Ty's a little bit smaller, which I think goes to Brandon's case, but they're kind of going to win in the same way per se. And uh, so I, I think I have Ty Ty in that back end lotto group. Um, again, everything is going to be very fluid for the next couple months, but I think I, I, like Branham slash the highest I would take him is in that late lotto uh, mid-teens range. Yeah, yeah. I had him like, I think I had him like just above Ty Ty. And for kind of the reasons you said, I think that they're coming from similar ways they're going to eat through scoring. Um, I think like right now, Ty Ty is obviously a better pick and roll playmaker. But I, I mean, Malachi's flashes that he showed in that as the year went on make me really intrigued about what he could be, especially considering I think he's what, almost three years younger than Ty Ty. Like for yes, me, this is where obviously age, like yeah. age is not everything, but this is where it kind of does factor in for me, especially like him being bigger too matters. I will say right now though, like Ty Ty's a better defender than Malachi. Like Malachi's mm-hmm. defense needs to be talked about more uh, on the national stage because there is a lot of work to be done there. And I do question um, how much of that is going to just be, you know, like through, uh, through being able to improve technique because I do think part of it is body type and where he's at with that. And also I was wrong. He's a year and a half younger than Tata. Tata's listened 20, 20 and a half. Malachi has not turned 19 yet. So um, yeah, fun stuff, but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. The highest I could get is probably around nine or 10 just depends on the, on the team. Um, second question from our guy, Alex, I'm gonna hit on really quick because you mentioned uh, before we got on that you don't really have thoughts on this one right now. Um, Thoughts overall on Usman Zhang and his lotto projection. This one is really interesting to me because I finally dipped in to watch uh, to watch the, the NBL a little bit more this last weekend. Um, I'm really intrigued by Usman. Like, I like him quite a bit. But to me, I, I think some of my questions would be more like, what is he if he doesn't fill out more? Like, he's 6'9", 6'8", 6'9" but probably about 180, 190 pounds. Like I might be underselling him a little bit, but he's really skinny right now. That's not everything. Like I think there's obviously a path of him growing quite a bit more. He's obviously a very young prospect. Um, I think you have like the framework of a really intriguing four, but I just don't think he has the movement skills to really play much of the three in the NBA. I don't think he's ever going to have the size to play the five, which I don't care about. Like, and again, like, I do think there you'll it always depends on lineups. You could probably get some 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 time in there with him playing the three. I like his craft. Like he does some really interesting stuff as like a secondary pick and roll guy. Um, that is like obviously not the same player, but like having a guy with that size and pretty solid touch, like he shows some nice stuff on floaters. He does some eye manipulation stuff that I really like. Um, he's like it's almost like watching Franz Wagner at times, um, but without the same kind of patience and guy like 
much more rudimentary. And of course, you know, that plays into him being younger. So I'm very intrigued by him. I cannot get there with Waddle right now. Like, I think it may be if you have a team that really believes in being able to develop him in the G League, um, then I think I could get there. But for right now, I'd say he's like pretty solidly around 20 for me, um, which I, I mean, that's higher than I expected to be coming in. So that's that's where I'm at right now. Um, bouncing around to another one. I'll throw this one at you from uh, Ryan Brock. What does Shaden Sharp need to do in the pre-draft process to mm-hmm. go top three? What do you see his upside as, and who would you compare his game to? I think I'll answer for you on the first one right now. You, I mean, we don't see him as a top three guy whatsoever, right? No, no. Uh, I, the, I'm pretty comfortable with the top four, despite being lower on Jabari mm-hmm. as a whole, I think. Like if we were the way I would put it is like I would have Jabari at four, but I think if you were to set up a grading system like zero to 100 and put me next to someone who also has him at four, I think I would probably net out a little bit lower. Yeah. And that's just a byproduct of like I have some issues with AJ Griffin, which I did see there's a question in there that we're going to talk about later. And it's Shay, I really do like Shaden. His shot making ability is rather ridiculous and he's on a exponential development curve because uh, kind of going from this off-ball athletic wing to a primary creator in a very very short span now the thing that gives me hesitancy and i will compare him i think there is a trio of these guards that we're seeing these uber athletic off guards who are making rapid strides as shot makers we've seen it now with anthony edward anthony edwards has always been kind of a pull-up guy but someone like jalen green shane sharp who kind of they all struggle from this like poor process and you're kind of be patient with them because these dynamic ball handlers albeit they might not be quote-unquote primaries are extremely valuable and we're seeing that and my issue with shaden is that he doesn't win at the point of attack nearly as easily and we can throw someone like Jaden ivy in that category as well and it, he just doesn't win as easily. And even like, we're even talking about against like EYBL competition. I, his, he's a big time vertical leaper and he explodes off the ground and is powerful when he's above the rim. But that same explosion is kind of lost at the point of attack for at this current moment. Uh, he is prone to getting walled off off standstill isos. And granted, it is they are still standstill isos. Like he's not coming off pin downs. He's not attacking a tilted defense at all. It's him walking the ball up the court and going, which is inherently very difficult. However, Watch Ant and watch Jalen and especially Jaden Ivey. I mean, we've seen it. These guys are just blazing fast and are able to put pressure and get into the paint, which then opens up, I believe, is like I'm a big proponent of if you get those easy paint touches, your playmaking development becomes easier long term because you're collapsing the defense, your windows are bigger. And I think we saw that with Jaden Ivey throughout the year, just learning how to capitalize on said paint touches and the defensive attention and rotations. That's my biggest issue with Shaden is that he went, he, he scores and the ball goes in the bucket and it's extremely loud and it's very impressive. And you remember the buckets, they're in great, they're seared in your brain because of how impressive they are. And the footwork is especially there on the shot stuff, on the shot prep and stuff off the dribble. But I, that's my, that would be my biggest concern is uh, his lack of ability to win consistently at the point of attack. Yeah, exactly. I like, I need to, to get a better feel for where I'm at with this handle, but I think it's more, like it's it's a combination of both like his handle to me isn't anything like not that it's bad but i don't think it's anything like crazy amazing um but also it's just like you talked about like he's a just the 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 athletic moments are impressive but also like i think you see them more uh like you mentioned at the point of attack like when you you see like his kind of lack of burst especially for like what his archetype is um so it is definitely something worth noting for sure but um go ahead no, I was just going to say, I think Shaden is 
I think he has less on ball. He's actually the most difficult. And I was thinking about this while I was in class earlier this morning. Shaden is such a difficult projection, not only because we're projecting him across from EYBL in summer of 2021 to the draft. And he skipped all entire year. We haven't really seen a player other than the border league where he was there, but he wasn't really engaged. And it's just super difficult in that sense that we haven't seen him play basketball, but it's also super difficult in like we're projecting the most difficult traits, which is, are you going to improve your handle enough to beat guys cleanly? Are you going to improve your process instead of just dribbling up and down the court and taking premeditated pull-up threes? What does your environment look like when you're put in a set offense? Because to me, I envision Shaden as more off ball than guys like Jalen or Anthony Edwards or Jaden Ivey. Like I think he is the shooting versatility is probably, he's probably the best as a shooter at the same stage as like all those guys, you know, Jalen was making, rapid improvements as his senior year of high school and was always taking pull up th- like it was more pull up threes but he was a little bit inconsistent like Shane's results are there um so I'm like comfortable throwing him off the ball and leveraging pin downs using him as a movement shooter to then get downhill and rip and attack so I, I think it's going to be super interesting because my idealized role for him is not necessarily the same as it is for these other nuclear athletic uh hand off guard handlers who then could potentially morph into quote unquote primaries and carry an, and carry an elite on ball usage load because one, the burst isn't necessarily there. And two, we're doing a ton of projection with his decision-making yeah. process. No, exactly. Um, and that's what makes it so interesting in, in him being in this draft class. Um, I guess you, you mentioned, you brought up AJG for a second. Uh, we can transition over to that from SFS scouting. Are you concerned by AJ Griffin's lack of burst slash how slow he is on offense? And I think we've kind of hit on this a little bit this year. Um, but I think, you know, as people are coming around to the draft now, like I, t- for me, I'm not concerned by it, but that's also just because I don't think you or I have ever been like a Adrian Griffin Jr. is going to be a primary option in the NBA. Like if you're coming in with that notion that he will be, then yeah, I get being concerned by it. But like, for the most part, I just don't, I don't want to say that I don't care, but like for who he's going to be, I don't feel like, yes, it definitely limits some of the pathways of becoming like an upper level offensive option. But like, I, I, I mean, I just think we kind of know what it is at this point. Yeah, I agree. It all depends on how you look at him and how you're projecting him. I like if, if we're talking about ultimate ceiling and, highest potential how could it not worry you he's really freaking slow on the ball and I don't think his handle is terrible like he has some moments of shake and shot creation and that he's always had that dating back to high school but he's really slow and like doesn't get downhill and as a good friend of the program PD Webb noted on Twitter like a month ago his shin angle and his driving angles are very up his his shin angle is very upright and his his driving pads are very rounded out so like yes there are areas for improvement but that's also like why is it like that right now um and how feasible is that to change i don't know but what i do know is that it's really freaking slow attacking closeouts and attacking off the bounce so i sneaky tease i don't know when it's going to go up but i have an article in the vault talking about ajg and like the role that duke granted him to play i'm not sure if it was intentional or not but i think it was very crucial for one his draft stock and two for him to be able to learn how to play in that tertiary role. And I think a lot of people, I see a lot of people complaining that like, he didn't get to play run pick and roll. He didn't get to do ISOs. He didn't get to them. I'm just like, do what? Why, like, why, no offense. Why do, you, like, why do you, yeah. Why do you want him to do that? Like you should, you should be spotting up. You're one of the best spotters in the entire country. You should be spotting up and playing through your jumper and working off of 
like shake relocations off of other players doing pick and rolls, coming off pin downs and getting downhill. Like Duke did a great job of doing that later in the year when defenders were very clear that they were going to lock and trail and stay attached over top because you can't go under against him. And that was able to get him downhill. He's a huge frame and can finish at the rim. He just can't really get there because he's super slow. Um, so I, I'm again, I think you hit the nail on that to start is that you, I guess how concerned you are by it should be directly correlated to the role and usage that you imagine him taking on. Yeah, no, I think I'm right there with you. Um, I guess one one thing I will posit, like, where are you at with him defensively because of that? I saw, I've seen, like, people all over the place with his defense. Yeah, like, I've seen people say it's really good, that. and then I've seen yeah. people say it's really bad, and I'm just, like, I'm kind of right there in the middle with you guys. Like, he's someone who lost a ton of live game reps, and I think that definitely matters on the defensive side of the ball, especially when it comes to executing scheme, knowing responsibilities, being spatially aware, knowing how to split the difference, all these little nuances that you just, like, get with game reps and when you're and obviously like Adrian Griffin's played a shit ton of basketball I'm not here to say that but as of late he's lost a lot of reps whether that be for injuries COVID uh he's probably someone who has if we're talking about the top of this draft lost the most amount of basketball over the years so I think he's a little stiff as an athlete uh especially laterally but I don't really like do you imagine this is like big time issue like I don't think he's going to be I don't project him as this plus plus defender on ball and as a team defender but I don't really have many glaring issues with it is like my best way to put it I'm kind of here nor there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's a very good screen navigator right now. And I I'm curious yeah. to see how he can improve on that. Um, but I do think he had like some interesting moments as like playing as the low man um, that is like, okay, I can see him becoming a better team defender. Like, again, like I think uh, a friend of ours pointed out yesterday, like he can be pretty stapled to his man at times too. And like, he won't try and help. Like he kind of under helps at times, but I think like you're saying, part of that is just, more live game reps um like i think he'll be fine but i think he's definitely somebody who is going to be interesting like just ironing out the techniques because you're right i mean like he does not have a ton of lateral quickness but i think like he's a guy you can look at and be like oh he's laterally quick because he's able to keep guys in front at times but no it's just because he's like got pretty good size and and length so like if he takes the right step then yeah you're you're drawing you're drawing help so like um yeah i I mean i think he's going to be a guy who will be fine on defense in the nba so that's where I'm at. Uh, the the, the cell is offensively. So, yeah. Um, just wanted to check in with you on that. Uh, let's go to. Okay. So this is kind of a combination of three from Joe Jackson, uh, Seagram Sports, and uh, the NBA undergrounder guy, Noah. Um can you describe your approaches to scouting players? What are some of the initial questions you ask? Uh, it's all, you know, more about like how many games you watch before you get comfortable with where you're at with a guy um, importance of, you know, priors. Um, I guess, you know, that's an entire can of worms we can open right there. Yeah. So I always used to ask this question to people because I always used to feel uncomfortable at like jumping to conclusions okay. too early, but I, my answer would be it's it's it varies completely based on the type of player you're scouting. Like I was watching a player, I was watching a player in UIBL last night, and actually within four minutes of the game, I knew exactly the type of player he was. And I'm not like it's not to like pat myself on the back, but like you know, a uh, wing isolation shot creator with tunnel vision who can't create advantages when you see one. That's like a very easy uh, archetype or type skill set, I should say, uh, to identify for me at least. 
Then there are other guys that take some time. I personally struggle with big men. I, I think big men take me a lot longer to figure out because the things that you're grading them on are much more technical and so minuscule. Like did how quickly uh, I would say like the things you can judge easily are like pop time, how quickly are they getting off the ground and like athletic tools like that. But then you know, feel and drop coverage. Obviously you can feel out the outliers relatively quickly, but feel in certain coverages, knowing when to rotate, how quick is their processing? A lot of it's situationally based. So I think I would say uh, in terms of like games watch before I can get a real feel and arrive at a conclusion for a player, I, I would say bigs are what I have. I think, I think everyone would have different answers for this. So I'm curious to hear what your, yours is. I think guards and you know, the way, I think guards are probably like easier for me to figure out just because their tests are relatively more clean cut. Like, are you beating your man? Are you creating advantages? Are you seeing multiple reads and pick and roll? Are you manipulating the defense? Like these are things that you can pick up rather quickly. Um, versus big men, I, I tend to have a little bit more. Uh, I need a little bit more time, I should say, to before I arrive at any conclusions. Yeah, so I think I would say, uh, I mean, I'm still kind of crafting where I'm at with how to evaluate guys in the moment. And I think very similar to you, uh, like, I'll never forget the first time I did anything draftfully was when I wrote that thing about James Booknight last year. And I went like way too far. Like, I think I watched like 11 or 12 games. And even then I was like, I was like, texting you and like texting PD. And I was like, uh, I don't think I've watched enough. Like I need to, I need to do more. And like, honestly, it's, it's not to sound conceited or anything, but I think something that really helps me is like how much basketball I watch in general. Like, um, I mean, I, I watched like, you know, during the regular season, I'm watching four or five games every day. And I, I don't mean that as like a flex. It's, it's my job. It's what I do. Um, so like when I'm coming in and I, I think it just makes it easier for me, especially, you know, being more based in the NBA, like, I think I can go down and immediately see guys be like, that's NBA stuff. Like, I, it, like that's easier to see. I think for me going in and being at like UAA or going to EYBL sometime in the future, like that was a different level of scouting for me, like trying to be, think more deep and be like, okay, like how can I picture this at a college program? Um, yes, you're six, six or six, seven, you're four, but like, okay, you do a lot of really interesting things that maybe a, a, a high major could be interested in, like trying to figure that stuff out. Like, I think it's all about, um, like for me, I think I try and look at it as I'm always kind of saying making conclusions is the wrong way to put it, but I'm always like trying to just understand what a guy is. Like when I went to UAA, I think I took 12 pages of notes just because of like, I'd never seen these guys before. So I was like, yeah. I want to know as much about you as possible and then keep going from there. Um, I guess I don't really have like a super clear cut answer, but like to me, like if I'm going in and I like know at least a decent amount about a guy from like talking to people I really trust and um, know, have a good understanding of the game. Like I still want to watch two or three games fully um, of what they're doing so I can get a better picture because I just think it, to be honest too, like, if you're doing like a full scout for like a consultancy or something, then yeah, you're doing more than two or three games, but also just realistically, you cannot watch more than two or three games of every single guy in the glass uh, in the draft class. Like it's different because like, I mean, you and I have been doing the whole cycle. So I think we've watched like, you know, the top 10, 15 guys play like 10 times each. Like yeah. those are the guys you see routinely. Those are the guys you really want to figure things out with. But I also think for the most part in watching the top guys is how you're also getting a better understanding and figuring out everyone else falling in behind them. Um, so it's just kind of like it's layers. I don't know if there's a better way for me to put it. No, but I want to really hit on the point that you said about 
watching just like watching a ton of basketball, especially the NBA. Like I don't have as much time to watch the NBA. And when I do watch the NBA, it's much more like in a casual sense rather than analyzing scheme and taking notes, but you're still able to pick up on trends and skill sets that matter, especially Mm -hmm. um, when I am able to watch more of like the playoff basketball. Um, But I will say like, it matters because everything is relative, like like evaluating a skill set from a prospect in college, you're evaluating it relative to the NBA and how the NBA guys are doing it and how it could potentially be developed. So for me, I watch a ton of college basketball and that's not to say you don't, you absolutely do, but like, I feel more comfortable evaluating the college basketball sphere. So it's, again, relative when I'm watching UIBL and UAA and the Adidas circuit to say, oh, that's a high major player. Like, oh, Baylor could use that guy. And like, I think that's really necessary. And another thing that I want to talk about is uh, like, I think someone asked about priors. And um, one thing that I've learned is like, I really do try to stay away and like not ask people about things and like come to my own conclusions and then talk to them. And it's like, hey, this is what I saw. And whether they agree or not, you know, especially if you only call it one or two games, maybe you call it a really good game. Like I talked, I texted someone last night. I was like, yeah, this kid's trash. Like, I don't see it at all. And he's like, oh no, he's actually pretty good. Let's go. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing better games then. And so I do think it's important to talk to people and gauge things, but I personally have learned to try to like come into it with as, as little expectations and uh, preconceived notions as possible. Because then to me, what I've learned is if I come in thinking, oh, this kid's an okay processor or he's doesn't really have that good of a handle, like I'm just going to be constantly looking for confirmation bias on film for me to see like, oh, I saw that. I saw, I see what Mark is talking about now versus if I just load up the film myself and then come to my conclusions and then I can compare and contrast to other people that have watched. So that's what I would say. Like, obviously it's inevitable, uh, especially when we're talking about like, the biggest college guys, we're tweeting about them all the time. You're listening to our podcast, you're reading, writing from us and other people that are doing great draft work. You're going to, you're going to be, you're going to see stuff. Like it's impossible to completely stay away from it. But I would just say like, try to form as many of your own opinions as possible before voluntarily engaging in, in certain discourse. Yeah, no, I think I'm right there with you. And I will say just as a counter too, uh, like, I think it's more just like, I get closer and closer every day to the best philosophy is no philosophy sometimes, yep. which like, it's obviously it's not that cut and dry. Like, I think it's good to have things that you believe in, but also I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in like, this is my thing. This is the way it has to be that we really lose sight of things. Like it's organic, man. And I tried to write about this and talking about offense um, over the weekend over at basketballnews.com. Like it's not ever just one thing. Like things are always evolving. It's always organic. And I think that's what I would say too, as a close, like I just try and catch little things here and there, like all the time, because guys are changing so much in what they do. Like, especially at, at the college level, like if you only watch, okay, let's say you're two or three watches of Malachi Branham in Ohio state or in, in November, like Ooh, you probably don't think he's draftable. So like, that's the last point I wanted to make. Exactly. Like you, it's all about like having, it's not even necessarily about having priors, but it's just about keeping tabs to me, like um, seeing the growth and changing a guy. Last point I wanted to make, like if you're now, and I know a lot of people following the college basketball season can be overwhelming. Uh, like while it's going on. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people, uh, especially guys who may be covering the NBA or are, are going to be dipping into the college season and scouting later on after the season's done. I would implore you, like if you're watching four games on someone, watching it from December, watching it from January, watching it from February, watching it from March. And like that to me, that's 
equally, if not more valuable than watching like the four most recent games they've played. Like, of course you want to watch more towards the end of the cycle, because that's the guy you're like, that's the closest representation of the player you're drafting or the player you're seeing. But again, like Branham, if you're watching earlier in the season, uh, you probably wouldn't think he's very good. If you're watching only end of the season, you wouldn't see the progression that he's made. And that might give you hope for more progression going forward. If you're only watching Jaden Ivey's games from February and March, you're going to see a freaking stud, but you're also not going to be able to contextualize how impressive that is because you got to go back and watch November and December. And obviously this is just like telling people watch more, watch more film. Like I understand not everyone has the time and energy and even aspiration to do so. But that's what I would say is like, that's been the most rewarding part of the cycle. Cause this has probably been like the first cycle I've had my feet under me at school and like was able to just watch a shit ton of basketball all throughout the year and the in-season developments, like which guys are making them, which guys aren't, it's just so valuable. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, let's go to a kind of rapid fire one from, uh, from our guy, Stone Hanson, uh, happy belated birthday. Uh, <laughs> sorry for a three-parter, but who has the best handles in the class? All right. So let's go with there. Who, who do you think has the best handle in the class? Who has the best handle in the class? It's a great question that I hadn't really thought I, about. Um, is it? Is it Ivy? I don't know. Like, I kind of probably go Paolo. Ooh, that's it interesting. Paolo. It might be Paolo. Like, insert like yeah, he doesn't have like the same burst that somebody like Jaden does, but I think like just in terms of like actual. <sighs> Dude, I'm just looking at my board. The amount of people that I can confidently say like struggle to dribble yeah. is crazy it is um, kind of crazy best um, best handle is is a really interesting question because last year we had guys like like jared butler who i was just who was just like they would put you on mixtapes like obviously 2020 mm-hmm. had Lamelo, and i feel like this class doesn't really have like a poster child for ball yeah. handling obviously that goes in in uh coincides with like the lack of true guard play but that's a really good question because i honestly don't know i really don't know who who i would say like, just for like pure efficacy, I think I would go Palo. Um, I like, like I, don't, I don't know. It's probably wrong, but that's, that's where I'm going to go. <laughs> All um, right. What's, what's the next one? Yeah. Next part, uh, who is the best passer? And so t- talking into, <laughs> taking into account, you know, delivery, difficulty, passes, thrown, processing. Who's the best passer? Might be Paolo. Like I, I think it's when, yeah. all right. So when I, when I saw this question, I was like, am I crazy if I say it's Paolo? Given like, everything like if we're taking into account gravity and usage and size and position and types of deliveries and growth over the course of the year i think it has to be paulo yeah no because I think it be paulo. like um, who else in the class is making like real real reads consistently i, I mean i think dyson is pretty good in like his connector role and making yeah, some definitely. reads i would get i would definitely give him a shout but obviously he struggles in in the gravity and drawing defense off the bounce yeah. aspect of things which but, is a very yeah, I, like i just that stuff is so connected like again that's like so talking about connected. the organics you cannot just pull it apart like that yes you might have like really sick court vision but also if you can't force the defense to defend you in a way that allows you to use it doesn't matter so um yes i think i'm in the same boat there and also i forgot shout out to jaden hardy in the first one like hardy's handle is really good um but, oh, he does have some good handle, yeah. but the bursts. But I, yeah, exactly, and I, like exactly, that's what makes it hard. Like, yeah, your handle can be really sick, but like if you don't have all the, like tools that's why to I'm talking of it. Like that's why I'm talking about Jane Ivy. Like he's just breaking down defenders, and like maybe yeah, it was, it's not. Maybe I should go Jane. 
It's tough. Jayden, it, it would be a tough. Can we give? I want to give Jaden a shout out in the in the passing column. I don't think he's the best, but growth, paint touches. There, yes, there has been a lot of making. And if we're gonna give, we're gonna give a, a boost for unnecessary flair just to make things look cool. He he's flying up the yeah. boards. Same with John. Which I love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. The, uh, un, the no the the no look pass, and you can just throw a chest pass. Yes, it's got to be my favorite exactly. thing. He had some dope passes in the uh, in at Hoop Summit. To be fair, though. Um, okay. Uh, who has the best combination, of both passing and handling? Um, Paolo, probably Paolo. Yeah, yeah. Um, where does Ken? All right, where does Kenny Chandler? I was thinking this about this too because because I actually really we do like Kenny Chandler, really, and he I could love like, Kenny. Yeah. He he could be my guy. That's like I think is getting underrated because he doesn't. He's not gonna like wow you with these cross court skips and manipulation, but he's fast as hell. I think he's gonna shoot it enough. He's a good vertical athlete for as small as he is, and. Although he's really hindered by his size, his hands on defense and lateral quickness like are pretty ridiculous. I think it, I don't I don't know if there's star upside, but like I, I really do think there's potential to be a starting point guard there. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, not sure. Agree. I'm not sure how realistic and attainable it is, and we're m- more likely looking at a rotation piece. But I do kind of feel like he's being underrated in the cycle. Maybe I asked because we didn't yeah. even bring him up. No, you're good. I He's somebody I want to write about because I have so many questions. Because I was mm. thinking about this the other day. Um, Like one of the things that's so interesting to me and, and thinking about guys who are smaller guards and, and why they do or don't work in the NBA. Like um, somebody who always gets talked about is like, oh, this guy should be a starter on his next contract. Monte Morris for uh, Denver. And I think like obviously different players. I think that already like. I'm more interested in Kennedy as a defender than, than Monte. And that's just given size. Like Kennedy's a lot more stout. I think Monte's still only like 175 or 180. Um, but like, I do think it brings up a real question because like Monte's a really damn good shooter, like really, really good shooter, but he needs like 10 feet of space to get a shot off. And I do wonder if it's going to be kind of similar. Like we saw that with Kennedy too. And I am interested to see what that looks like because he doesn't get the shot off super quick, but he is really damn good on the relocation. So it's, it's an interesting KC what November and December Kennedy Chandler. That's who I need back. Like that from a pure shooting standpoint, uh, he came out gunning and a lot of it was on like off ball relocations, but he did have some stuff off the dribble. And then over the course of the season, he just got a little gun shy. And when you can't afford to be gun shy, when you do have his release, like as a small guard, um, so I, I would say that like he is very he's working on a very thin margin for error when it comes to his release and the windows that he's operating in because he doesn't have like you're we're so prone to seeing smaller guards have this quick one motion release where it's just like it's like the Steph Curry Darius Garland like obviously you don't want Steph Curry but like the Darius Garland thing where it's like one motion off the bounce and Casey doesn't really have that like he has a load time and like a window or like a pocket that he wants to get it into but. I, Damn, some of those shooting attempts from non-conference were like zero hesitation. And uh, I would love to see that back. That makes two of us, man. Um, I, I agree. I think we'll have to talk more in depth about Kennedy at some point because I he agree. is I he's agree. one of the guys I'm, I'm most uh, torn on in this draft class. But um, I think that answers that one for us. Here's a question I'm really excited about because we hit on this a little bit last pod, but I want to talk about it now. Um, from our guy Chip Jones, uh, friend of the pod, how do you view Leonard Miller currently? How would that change if he was coming off of a bad slash mediocre slash good college or pro season? Um, 
Well, this comes in lieu of uh, Leonard Miller entering his name into the draft and signing with an agent. Um, where I, I guess the question I would ask you right now, where would Leonard Miller slot in for you on your board? Well, I've only seen one game, and the one game I've seen was Hoop Summit. So I don't want to like make any brash decisions or rankings, but like we were very clear about it. Like, we were wildly intrigued. And uh, I, he's kind of someone that I'm putting off a little bit. He's in the same camp as someone like Shaden. Like, I'm, I'm just waiting until they're like in, in uh, to dive into film because I do think there's still a chance Leonard Miller goes to college. Like, mm. I think I, I do believe he signed with NCAA certified agent, which. Oh, that's uh, right. That's my bad. Which. I think he did. I think he did. I'm not sure. Um, but I didn't like see anywhere that Kentucky, I think it was like the G League Kentucky and Arizona. I didn't really see that they were off the table. Again, I could be completely wrong. This is just my intuition. But I so I'm like kind of waiting to see if he's staying in in. And if he does, then I think like we'll dive back into him and loop him in on like the internationals pod that we're doing. But yeah, the Leonard Miller is super dope. And I think it's just when you're looking for these Swiss army knife guys who can do a little bit of everything. And obviously there's a fine line between like fine line between being like a useful Swiss army knife and a Jack of all trades, master of none who just like, isn't quite good enough at anything to really move the needle, but he's ferocious. Uh, the jump shot is interesting, but it went in and he's a fluid athlete, good frame. He definitely someone I, I think we're, we're going to be talking about in the future. Yeah, no, 100%. I think I'm in the same boat with you. Like, to me, um, I would say, like, I'm definitely more intrigued by him than, than Usman Jang. And I don't mean it as a slight, but that's just more like factoring in what I saw from him as a guy doing things on ball and as a passer and with the combination of athleticism, too. Um, yeah, I think I would be, like, probably, like, I could probably talk myself into late lotto right now, if we're being honest. But again, I need to see more from him, uh, but based on what we saw at Hoop Summit, like I'd probably be there right now. Um, let's go to one second. I'm pulling up a new one from Jim Root uh, for older prospects, say age 21 or 22. Oh, I like this one. And a college, yes, I love this one too. And a college junior or senior, what indicators would tell you there's still real developmental upside? Feels like those guys get boxed into low upside designations. Or ones that develop just severe outliers, question mark. So like Brunson, Jared Butler, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, where are you out with this one? Because this is one I'm still kind of toying with, but we've we've had this conversation Wait, so are we, a lot. To be to be clear, are we talking about like guys in college and deciding whether some like the older players are like quote unquote maxed out or if there's still room to improve in the league? Yeah, I think that's the question. Yeah. Okay. Um hmm, let me think about this. So I think with Jared, like, I'm just going to talk about Jared Butler here because he was someone I really liked as a sophomore, as a sophomore, but like he couldn't really pass. Like his decision making was terrible. And then he came out as a junior and he's like manipulating the hell out of these defenses and growing as a decision maker entrusted with these live dribble reps as a pick and roll playmaker. And so I think personally, uh, like an indicator, you know, I do think I hate the high floor or like low floor, high ceiling thing or vice versa, low ceiling, high floor. But like, there is something to be said for someone just being older and like having all their reps and like being towards the end of their developmental tunnel. Like, I, I do think that is kind of real. And I, and I hate the, the, like the box that these guys are put in and some of them could be super valuable. Like what do you think about, I think Desmond Bain is an interesting thing to, to talk about here because he's someone who rapidly improved as a ball handler as he like went through his college career. And I think that's something that's like crucial to him today. Um, 
what do you what like what do you think what are some major strides like he's made in the NBA? Yeah, so it's interesting too because like I think the way that I look at it right now is that I don't I try not to do the ceiling floor thing. Like I know obviously that's something that we do a little bit with the draft, but I try and just look at it like this is what the guy is right now. And I think if he makes improvements, this is who he could be. Um, because I think there is really something to be said about like if you are an older guy with more established skills right now, the, obviously it depends on what team you go to, what the expectations are, but you're just more likely to stick if you already have some things established. Like it's not fully that. Like obviously if you have just like inherently more talent, yes, you might not be consistent yet, but yes, that'll get you reps too. But also like if you are a guy who's coming out like a Jalen Brunson or Malcolm Brogdon, not just, I promise it's not just like Mid-East America guards, but like that's, that's I mean, it's where a lot of it comes from when you have guys like from Villanova and um, Virginia who have been in college for that long. Like, I just think it gives you, like when you're coming in and you can be established as a role player on a solid team, you're able to develop more just because you you can get playing time. Like I think, yeah. and I do think that'll change now as the G League becomes more and more prevalent. But um, I think but the it's reps aren't the thing. same. Yeah, the it's reps not, aren't the same. Exactly. So okay, I actually think I like land on an answer that I'm comfortable with, and I think it's a lot like the Macau Bridges types, the Cam Johnson types. I'm really interested to see someone like Trey Murphy and how he develops because, and it's not to say like these guys had no ancillary skills coming out because it's just not the case, but. I, I do think, as as you said, like, and we've noted this throughout the pod, throughout this pod and many pods, the best way to make improvements is live game reps. But you can't get those live game reps at the NBA level if you can't contribute and be on the floor. And so I think, as you said, like being able to space the floor initially and, and like have capabilities as a movement shooter, then you can maybe experiment with certain things when you get run off the line. And like you still are able to provide value because you have these one or two skills and I do think there is something to be said with like, we can talk about high ceiling and low floor. And to me, it's just like range of outcomes. Like where do, where do your skills and your process and your development lead you and how many, what does your range of outcomes look like? And what can you hit? I do think there is something to be said and some truth to the older guys, just having a more narrow set of outcomes because a lot of that like orange has already been squeezed out. I don't yeah. think, I don't think that's super controversial. And as someone like age is important to me, not in the sense that like, Oh, this guy's 19, this guy's 18 massive difference there. You know, I, I know a ton of people who feel that way. I'm not totally there, but when a guy like someone BI is like 24 years old, like we're, if you're BI is 24 and you're drafting someone who's 22, like, yeah, their range of outcomes is going to be more narrow. And there, I do think there is less overall upside there uh, just because more things have been developed and, and like you've already been in college for four years. And so I think like, while it is a demeaning stigma, there just like kind of is some truth to it. And I think it, it's like undeniable evidence. However, I do agree with you is that if you can have a certain skill and I think the easiest one is probably shooting and being big and we can like, I don't want to, I'm not saying three and D I'm not saying those words, but if you can provide versatile shooting and be like a defensive plus and provide value that way to then, and you're going to be a good enough shooter where you're going to draw hard closeouts. I think establishing in between game once you draw pull-ups, making elementary reads off of that and capitalizing on gravity. I think I would say that is the most feasible development for like older prospects. Yeah. And I think I would say too, um, like, uh, 
I mean, like we, we were actually talking about this before we got on the pod, but like one of the reasons why I'm really interested in like, uh, like I love some of the guys who end up being late second rounders. Like I was a big fan of Najee Marshall when he was coming out of Xavier. And I think a lot of people, I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back. I just, I'm, I'm weird. And I like second round picks, but like I looked at him and I was like, okay, this guy's clearly not a primary in the NBA. I don't think that, I mean, it was pretty clear that he was not a primary or shouldn't have been a primary at Xavier. Like that team was fine, but like he was of course overtaxed as their, as their main ball handler. But I also thought, okay, this guy brings you a lot as a passer off the bounce. Like he, he, he makes good live dribble reads on the interior and exterior. Um, he's capable of getting to the rim. He's not always finishing. Like that's something I want to see him improve on, which I, another point on that later, but like, I was like, you, you have a lot of stuff here. That's really intriguing out of a, a higher end role player. Like, yes, I, I have questions about the shot, which that's been a thing in the NBA still, but um, he's gotten minutes because he is a, he is solid defensively and he's capable of making good decisions. So um, I, I think like, that's been really interesting to see. Like, and that's why I look at a guy like, like Kevin McCuller from Texas tech, if he does stay in the draft this year, if he were to go to somewhere like new Orleans or San Antonio that has an established shooting rep and they're like, we just want like a seventh or eighth man and somebody who can do th- the right things for us on court and grow from there. Like, yeah, he's again, a guy who was clearly overtaxed as the lead ball handler at Texas tech this year, but also, he made really big improvements as a passer and as a ball handler. That makes me think, okay, maybe if things do hit right with the shot, maybe he does run some secondary actions for you. If things really develop right. And like that, to me, that's, that's interesting and valuable. So, um, but that also brings up another point for me. Uh, Herb Jones is such an interesting player to look at with this because I, I, I want to write about this actually, like why we quote unquote missed on Herb. Like I had him like a borderline first round grade last year, but even then that's like clearly underselling what he has done in the NBA. Um, I just think it's so important to take into account environment with everything. Like, I mean, Herb could have gone to another team and not that he wouldn't have played. Cause I do think the defense was good enough to get him on court regardless, but like, if there's a team that doesn't empower him to, to handle the ball more or a team that doesn't really, um, they, you know, they, they can't really afford to see him miss some of the shots he does, then, then maybe he doesn't get the opportunities. And like, he's still, it's weird because like, it's something I want to dive in more to, but like he had argued, I think he finished better on drives this year and had more moments of touch than he did all of last year at Alabama, That's which crazy. is like, I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> but it's like, again, like, I think it's, uh, just being able to continue plays is essential. Like that, I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but like Herb was somebody, even if he's not finishing at the rim, he could continue to, to attack a bent defense and make, and because he had size, like he could make the defense pay for it. Um, so it's just, yeah, that, that wasn't a fully complete answer, but like, it, it's important to look at all that stuff. Yeah. And if, if you don't believe in enough evidence to just squash archetypes entirely, look at herb jones like what what is that it's a damn good basketball player is what it is it just works and like I, i'm that is no way to say if you adopted that philosophy then you would have obviously seen her like it, it was he was such a weird and funky player at alabama but the stuff he did was just outlier good especially defensively and you're seeing that come to fruition he's a i was talking to one of my friends um who's just a big basketball guy as well we were talking about how fun it is to have someone like her in the nba just like who just completely 
breaks down the stigmas of a wing and like what you should look for in the draft or prioritize and whatever. He's just such a fun and unique player. And like having parodies is like, or having um, just like differences across wings and all that stuff is good. It's fun. And, and I think that he's, he's been a very interesting guy for me to watch this year. Yeah. No, 100%, man. Well, I think, I know you got to get out of here to go to class. Are you good? I think, I think we're good to close out that one. What? I'm good. There was one. I feel like there was one more I wanted to answer. Um, and I have time for one more. Okay, cool. Well, it's fine. Uh, oh, it was a Jaden Hardy question. Yes. Um, it was basically. I don't want to uh, paraphrase. Um, is Jaden Hardy a star in disguise? Um. So let's. I think I don't want to speak for you, but based on your philosophy, like my favorite players right now are the complimentary off guard ball handlers with a ton of juice who just absolutely can decimate tilted defenses, playoff stars, space the floor, and then create offense on their own. Like your Jordan pool types or Tyrese Maxey bones Highland heading in that direction. Like these guys just really can help move the needle for teams and especially create, like just be a microwave off the bench to create offense. They're scalable. They can play with anyone. And so I think like, in a vacuum, Jaden Hardy, you like you would expect someone like me and you to um, gravitate towards someone like that. But I'm not quite there with them, and I th- with him, and I think there's a reason for that. It's like as much as I love there's this archetype, there's like you don't have a ton of room for error. It's like there's a steep drop off between the guys I named, and then you're just like typical off guard. Um, I'm not going to even say like scoring oriented because Hardy's made some strides as a playmaker, but where, what are your reservations with Hardy? Um, good question. I think what's tough is just size for me. Um, and like, he's not that level of defender. I do think he has some nice moments at the point of attack, but like, uh, he just, he can fall asleep a lot on defense. And again, I think that's something that maybe you could get better at in the NBA, but being six, like, I mean, do you think he's any taller than six, three? I think he's six three. Yeah. So like six three and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, I just think that that is a little bit harder unless he becomes like I think that the he's somebody who I think will will rise up my board the more that I think about it and, and dive back into stuff. Um, but like I just question like if he doesn't become a sick shooter from deep, I'm not totally sold on that. Um so yeah, I think I, I'm I'm there with you, but like I I do agree. Like I, I think he has been undersold a little bit, um, but also like it kind of goes both ways. Like there was definitely some overselling at the beginning of the of the cycle. Um, yeah, there was some like, compensation like, to be had. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think just pulling everything together, like the things that he can do as a finisher, are pretty absurd for somebody of his size. Like um, I'm lower like, on the finishing. I think well, not like it's not always there. But because some of, the, some of the moments that he has in terms of like being able to get to the rim are impressive so, to me. Okay, so if that's because so I, that's what I wanted to dive into is that I am my biggest concerns and why I'm hesitant to like dive in is because I, like the tools are really not good and I think it really they really rear their head as a handler and he's done a great job evolving and learning how to win with change of pace. He has a deceptive handle and I think. Although I, I like, I wish he was just like more dynamic at the point of attack. And like, I wish it was less craft based and yeah. I, I wish he could just punish dudes with one, like simple dribble moves or straight line bursts because 
I do think he's more of an off-ball guy. Like, just because I think the passing, like, the interior reads are there. Like, he's made some dope drop-offs and wraparounds, but he wasn't, like, slinging the ball all over the court and, like, showcasing advanced court mapping ability. So I do think he's more of an off-ball guy. And, of course, that places more emphasis on the shooting. But just, like, I'd rather, like, someone who is just going to catch the ball and just, like, explode downhill. Like, Max, like Maxi, when Maxi catches the ball, off like on the catch yeah. and just that like rip, the hedgehog it's nuts that rip downhill is just so violent and like it's like angry like he's just exploding downhill towards the rim so that'd be my one thing is that his style of, of advantage creation i think is less useful for the role that like i would project him in and maybe this is me getting way too deep into the weeds but i just think like that's that's my hesitation one and then two the finishing stuff um he his explosion around the rim is very poor um and i think it definitely gave him some issues finishing at the g level and i think that's only going to arise at at the nba level again so yeah i I do think there is some merit to him being undersold especially with the in-season developments that he made as a ball handler but i do think it comes down to like do you have enough juice or not and i'm not sure he does yeah, I think I would. The only thing I would say is like I uh, I definitely phrased it wrong at the beginning about like being good. like not that he's a good finisher. But I think he has really <laughs> yeah. interesting moments of good finishing and getting to the rim. That makes me think like I I do think sometimes we can play up too much. That well, if the floor is spaced better, but like the G League Ignite squad was not that 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 was the spacing was worse than a lot of college teams. So like, I have a, I have a comment to make before we get out of there. Yeah. Before we get out of um, here. But I do think like that is something, especially like projecting him into a, a, you know, like if he's able to do things with a less cramped floor, like I, I am interested in what that could be, but I, I ultimately agree. Like he is definitely very craft based. Yeah, totally. I think we're on the same page and I wouldn't be surprised if he climbs a couple spots when it's all said and done, but I do star in disguise is probably a little too rich for me. So yeah. the one thing I last last comment I wanted to make, my perhaps my least favorite rebuttal comment in uh in um in draft work. Everyone's better with NBA spacing. It's not true. It's it, well in in theory, yes, it's true. But if we're taking someone who is playing in Gonzaga's system, like Jalen Suggs last year, and we're let's just imagine like a graph and we're comparing how similar teams are or teams or contexts are to NBA spacing and NBA offenses in terms of movement concepts, tilting defenses, et cetera, et cetera. If player X, Jalen Suggs, is playing an offense that is way more similar to NBA spacing and NBA concepts, and that's way more advantageous than someone like Jalen, Jaden Hardy, Jaden Hardy is has more room to grow and is going to benefit more than Jalen Suggs because Jalen Suggs is already being put in a more similar situation. Like, I don't understand the rebuttal that, well, everyone's better with NBA spacing. Then you're just making the assumption and you're implying that everyone is operating on the same scale of spacing and offensive concepts, which we know for a fact is like very much not true. So let's evaluate context. Johnny Davis is going to benefit more from an NBA floor than. Jalen Suggs did in his draft year. Like I am very confident in that. And watch the watch these two teams. So sorry for my my little rant, but yes, not not everyone benefits the same. Everyone benefits doesn't mean they benefit the same. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. Uh, Jesus, now I'm thinking about Big Ten basketball, and I think that is a great <laughs> point to leave uh, leave leave on here. So. Jake, this was great, man. Uh, to everyone who sent in questions, thank you a ton. Uh, I apologize that yeah. we didn't get to all of them, uh, but we will certainly 
round back in. And obviously, you know, we're planning on hitting on the, the ones that I prioritize the ones that we don't really plan on talking about as we move forward. So um, be on the lookout. We'll have a lot more stuff coming out. Jake, I'll talk to you later, man. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and enjoy the rest of your day.